faith that seeks God's will. Now, what do we mean by that? When we talk about the will of God, what do we mean by that? Well, there's actually in one sense you might categorize God's will in two ways. There might be two different categories of God's will. One would be His revealed will. What has God actually said through the law, through the prophets, through the Psalms, through the New Testament? What has Jesus or what has God said about Himself? What is His revealed? That's His revealed will. This is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus wants us to pray about when the Bible says Jesus taught us to pray. Not, uh, he taught us to pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about His revealed will. Whatever God says in heaven gets done in heaven. So whatever God has said to us on earth, we should be praying, God, let it be done here. We want to see your will be done here. But There's also God's secret will, which has to do with the fact that God is sovereign over all things, the fact that God is sovereignly working out His perfect plan, and we don't always know how that's going to work. We don't know every detail of life. We don't know what's in the future. And so we, we have to surrender our lives to His secret will. Okay, God, You know what's best. We don't know what's going to happen, but You know what's going to happen. And so when we talk about a faith that seeks God's will, we're talking about seeking God's will in both those categories. We want to seek God's will in His revealed will. We want to do the things that He said He wants us to do. But also it's seeking God's will in His secret will. We want to be surrendered and submitted to the fact that God knows what's best and whatever He has in store for us is what's best for us. And this is what James is kind of getting at. And this little section he, he, he talks about, he's just talked about in verse 10, about the need for us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord knowing He will lift us up. He's talking about this humility, this submission to God that shows itself in the vertical, in, in, in our humbling ourselves before God, our attitude before God. But this also expresses itself in the horizontal, that we are to humble ourselves and therefore be careful about how we speak about each other. What I want to do today is I want to kind of give you sort of three reasons why we should seek after God's will. And the first thing that we see is this, we should seek after God's will because God's our judge. James says clearly here, he says, do not speak evil, literally slander one another. Brethren, he says, he who slanders a brother judges a brother. And it's interesting, he makes this phrase here. He says in verse 11, if you judge your brother, you're also speaking evil of the law and judging the law. Now, how does that work? How does it work that, that if we are judging our brother, we're speaking evil of the law? Let's be honest. Sometimes when we're saying something bad about somebody, it's because they've gone against God's law. So if we're saying something bad about somebody because they've, gone, they've done something bad, they've gone against God's law, how could that be slandering God's law? Well, understand what James is talking about here. James isn't talking about a private exhortation. James isn't talking about what Jesus mentions in Matthew 18. If somebody sinned against you, you go to them in private and you say, listen, you've sinned against me and, and I, you know, I'm ready to forgive you, but you know, I think you need to own up to the fact that you've sinned against me. James isn't talking about that here, that private exhortation. He's talking about public slander. He's talking about exposing somebody's sin or their perceived sin publicly. That's what he's talking about. Now, this is something that we have to be really careful about. James has already talked about, hasn't he, about the wickedness of our tongue and about how easy we say things that we shouldn't say. Here he's applying that, he's going back to that theme and he's applying that saying, listen, 
you need to make sure that you're not slandering your brethren. Isn't it interesting? He says, don't be slandering one another, your brethren. Let's be honest, people. We can be so guilty of, at church, how are you? Good to see you. God bless. Oh, it's so good to see you. Hug, hug. And then they walk away and go, gosh, that guy's an idiot. Or, you know, oh, fine, he hugs me at church, but he doesn't return my phone calls or whatever the case might be. We are so quick to say things that are bad about other people. And James says this is bad because when you're doing this, it's not just the person that you're sinning against. You're actually sinning against God's law. You're actually putting yourself above God's law. See, what slander does, slander exalts our perspective over God's perspective. See, we see something that we think somebody's done wrong. And we think, hey, they've done wrong. I have a right to talk about that. I have a right to say they've done wrong. But is that what Jesus calls us to do? Is that what God calls us to do? Is that what even the law of God calls us to do? Listen to this, Leviticus chapter 19, the law of God. Here's what it says. God says to his people, you shall not go about as a talebearer, that's someone who kind of reveals secrets, among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord, he says. You should not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do, do you see this? I mean, we, we think of Leviticus. We don't think about verses like this, do we? We think about animals being slain and all kinds of ways we're supposed to build some sort of a temple. But we don't think about this. This is the, the, the key of the law. This is the, the tenor of, the, of God's law. It's how we treat other people. God says, listen, I don't want you being the kind of people that hold grudges against each other, that slander each other. God says, look, I am the Lord. I am your God. It's how I am that sets the standard of what you should be like. It's not your perspective. No matter how wrong you think the other person is or how sinful you think the other person is, it's not your perspective that matters. It's my perspective. I love the fact, too, that in, that in those verses in Leviticus, God makes it clear, listen, He says, look, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Part of loving your neighbor, your brother or sister in Christ, is going to him in private and saying, look, man, this thing, it's got to stop, or you've got to start doing this thing that God would have you do. So this is not about never saying anything that's confrontational or what might be seen to be negative. It's not about there's never a place where we need to expose each other's sin. This is about, listen, James is about saying, listen, don't be so quick to do that publicly. You should be super slow to ever do that publicly. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 18 that the sins that we know of other people should never go public unless that person refuses to repent. When you've gone to them in private, when you've gone to them with another brother or sister, and when you've, when you've gone to them before the leadership of the church and said, please, brother, please turn from this. And if they refuse to turn, then and only then do you go public. You know, we've had a couple situations in the church where we've had to actually remove people from the church, ask them not to come anymore. But those situations didn't happen in a week or two. The first one happened in two, it took two years. Two years of calling somebody to actually repent of their sin, to turn to their sin. And then it took, the, the second person, it took over a year, 18 months. And in both cases, we begged, we pleaded, we loved, we waited. 
And it was only when they refused to change that we had to say publicly, we have to ask this person not to come back because they were refusing to turn away from really serious stuff. But what's a slander and to gossip? And it's funny because that's how, in, 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 the, in, in both situations, that's how it started. Someone came to me and said, oh, this person's doing such and such. And I had to say to them, have you gone to that person and talked to them? You see, what, what James wants us to understand, what the Spirit of God wants us to understand is that seeking God's will means seeking to love people and recognizing that He's the one who's going to judge us on that standard. He's going to judge us based on whether or not we are seeking to love people. And slandering people isn't loving people. Now, he, he goes on to say in verse 12, he says, look, there's one lawgiver who is able both to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge another. Now, it's important for us to recognize, and we're talking about this lawgiver, we're obviously talking about God Himself. It's God who's given us His law. The Bible is really clear in the Old Testament that the, specifically the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. It's the foundation for everything else that God reveals. So that God Himself has said these things. This wasn't, these weren't Moses' ideas or David's ideas in the Psalms. These weren't, these weren't Paul's ideas in the epistles or James' ideas in the epistles. This is what God wanted to be said. He's the lawgiver, okay? Now, we have to understand that it's, it's, what we mean by this is that it's Jesus who sets the standard for God's judgment. He says, this is right and this is wrong. This person is saved and this person is lost. It's God who is able to both declare someone to be lost or declare someone to be saved. It's God's and God's alone privilege to say this person is the one I've saved, this person is the one who's condemned. Now Jesus himself talked about this. Listen, John chapter 3 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. You notice this. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe, notice, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says this, listen. He says, here's the standard. The person who's condemned is the person who refuses to receive me and my sacrifice on their behalf. The person who's condemned is the person who refuses to put their faith in me, in my death, in my resurrection. And they're not condemned just because they refuse that. They're condemned already. Why? Because they prove that they love darkness to the light. They prove their deeds are evil. Now, now this might sound harsh. You might think, oh gosh, John, you're being harsh. And it sounds like James is saying, don't be harsh. No, here's what I'm trying to say. James is saying, listen, God is our judge. Therefore, we should be slow and careful about how we judge each other. Sometimes, guys, what we can do, especially as as believers, especially as church people, as church people, we can be so quick to condemn others, to act as if they couldn't possibly really know God because they do fill in the blank. Or they couldn't possibly be saved because they don't do fill in the blank. And we judge, we condemn. 
and we set up standards that God doesn't set up. We end up, even though we would say we don't believe this gospel, we end up actually demonstrating and preaching this gospel. Here it is. It's a false gospel. You guys ready? Here's the false gospel. You have to believe in Jesus and fill in the blank. This is what we do. And we judge and we condemn. That's not seeking God's will. What God wants us to seek, the will of God, notice Jesus says it. Here's the will of God. God sent His Son. Why? Not to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. This is the will of God, that people know that Jesus came to save them. And we don't pronounce condemnation over them unless they say, I don't believe in that Jesus rubbish. And then even then we don't say, well, therefore you're condemned. But we do say to them, listen, that's the only hope any of us have. I, you, you, we say to them, look, I understand what it's like to want to run away from the light, want to push it away because we don't want to be exposed, but here's the reality. We are exposed, we are guilty, and we need Jesus. He's the judge. I'm not judging you. He judges all of us. Now, what about when Jesus says, judge not? Look at Luke chapter 6. Listen to this. It should be on the screen. Jesus says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, why is Jesus saying this? Is Jesus saying it's always wrong to make a judgment call about another person? No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is this. In fact, Matthew's gospel makes it clear. He says, look, don't judge, but first take the beam out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. The issue is don't judge hypocritically. It's recognizing that the way you condemn people is the way you're going to be condemned. (laughs) The way you judge people is the way you're going to be judged. And so what what Jesus is talking about in Luke's gospel, what James is talking about here is, listen, there is a God who is good and He does judge. He is our judge. Therefore, we want to say, okay, God, how would you have me be? I don't know about you, but I know because this God is my judge, I need great mercy from this God. Great mercy. In fact, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize, man, I need mercy. He, as the light of the world, shows me more and more how dark I actually am. And I think, man, do I need mercy. Well, listen, our need for mercy should motivate our giving of mercy. This is what James is getting at. James isn't denying that there's sin, there can be sin among God's people or that people need to be dealt with. He's dealing with people pretty strictly in this epistle, isn't he? What he's saying is this, stop the slandering, stop the judging, stop putting yourself above the standard of God and live under the standard of God and point people to the standard of God. He's the judge. That's what he's saying. God's our judge. This is why we want to seek His will. God, what's your will for people? God, we believe you're going to judge all people and that you've provided for all people to be saved in Jesus if they'll put their faith in Jesus. What should that motivate us to do? 
condemn them? No, share Jesus with them. If you see a brother and sister in church and they're blowing in a big way, you know they're doing things. You've seen firsthand they are doing things they shouldn't do. What should you do? Condemn them? No, you should go to them alone and say, man, I'm worried for you. I see that you get stuck in this legalism. It's not good. Or I worry for you. I see that you're stuck in this sin. It's not good. I'm talking to you about it because I want to see you be free. I want to see you know what it's like to walk with Jesus. And if you know what it's like, come on, let's do that together. Not slandering, seeking to save. God's our judge. Because of that, we should seek His will, which is to seek and save that which is lost. So that's one reason. One reason we should seek God's will. He's our judge. Here's another reason, right? Because God alone knows the future. Look at the scenario that James paints here in verse 13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there, we'll buy, we'll sell, we'll make a profit. He says, why would you say that when you don't have any clue what's going to happen tomorrow? Let me be really clear here. James is not discouraging investing or planning or saving or good business practices. That's not what James is saying. The scripture is full, especially the Proverbs are full of wisdom about us needing to save and needing to plan and needing to be good with our resources. So he's not saying not do that. What he's wanting to do here is he's wanting to be clear that, listen, why would you act as if you're in control? Oh, I know what my future holds. I'm going to do this, and this is going to happen. When the truth is, our predictions, even about our own lives, are usually wrong. Have you experienced that? Now, for some of you guys who maybe are maybe you students, you might be, be thinking, well, I don't know what my future holds. I'm scared about that. In fact, I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be X, Y, and Z, and you have all this doom and gloom about the future because you're in the middle of you know, exams, and you're thinking, this is too difficult. But you don't know what the future holds. You can't deal with the future. All you can deal with is what's before you. So, so what, he, what we need to understand is God knows the future. <laughs> so we say, okay, God, what's your will for me? This this assignment or this exam or this job situation or this relationship is really difficult. What's it going to lead to? God says, don't worry, I know. <laughs> I know. Now, we often want God to tell us what it's going to lead to. God, give me, the, give me the picture. It's going to lead to this. But you know what? God in His grace doesn't tell us what the future is. He doesn't always show us what's going on. If God would have told me 25 years ago, you're going to have five children, you're going to sell all that you own, and you're going to move across the pond to England. I would have said, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He, he just, as I pray, Lord, what's your will? Should I marry this woman? And he said, yes, idiot, marry that woman before she changes her mind. <laughs> all right, God, should I go into full-time ministry? Yes, this is an opportunity to take it. And step by step, he would lead us because we don't know what the future holds. And James, is, he's talking about these traveling merchants who would, obviously, they, they weren't, these weren't wealthy people. These would have been people who sort of have to live by finding new markets to sell their goods in. And so they were, that salesman kind of type of person, you know what they're like, you know, oh, okay, we're going to go here, it's going to work this way. And they tend to be quite excited and passionate about what they're doing and they really want to sell it and 
James is saying, man, don't be stupid. You don't know what God's going to do. Don't make your plan separate from God. In fact, look what he says in verse 14, the second part of verse 14. He says, for what's your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Man, again, the older I get, the more I realize how true this is. Life goes by like that. It goes by so fast. I, I, I honestly can't believe I'm 47 years old. I, I'm shocked by that. I could have swore I was 22 yesterday. I have a 23-year-old son. That's shocking. It's amazing how fast life goes. We blink and then it's over. This is what the Scripture says, guys. We need to kind of understand this about our lives. It says in Psalm 39, verse 5, this is the NIV, it says, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of, of, of my years are, or as, is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Listen, especially again, you younger people, you think, oh, I have plenty of time. You don't. <laughs> and here's the truth. None of us knows how many days we have left, do we? Now, this isn't bad news, If we are believers, this isn't bad news. If we're Jesus followers, it's not bad news. You know why? Because Paul says this about his life. For me to live as Christ, how's it end? Come on, finish it for me. To die is gain. We don't care that our life is short. You know why? Because our life is eternal. It's with God. But should this not affect how we plan? He says in verse 15, listen, He says, instead, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we shall do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now understand what James is condemning. He's condemning our human planning without considering God's sovereignty. All of our plans should be made. Listen, we should make plans, but all of our plans should be made in light of God's sovereignty. He rules and reigns. He opens doors, He closes doors. Now, many of you guys know who are part of, those of you at Servants Church, I hope you recognize that part of our vision for this church, what we feel God is leading us to do, is grow into multiple small congregations. So it'll be one church, many locations, different services, so that our congregations can be smaller, so that the, a, a key aspect of what we want to be is disciples who can make disciples, and that requires people to know each other, people not to be able to hide from each other. So that's our desire. So we are praying towards that, we are investing towards that, we are planning towards that, but guess what? We have no idea how it's going to work. It's totally up to God. I have no idea how it's going to work. In fact, we often will say, we were just talking about this last week, well, that's what we think you still want us to do, Lord, but if you want to do something different, tell us something different. Because it's not our will that matters, it's your will that matters. You know the future. We have no idea what the future holds for us. It could be that God does this radical work of revival in England, let it be, Lord, and that we don't have a bunch of little churches, we got this huge church, because God says, no, I want to bring all these people in so they can hear the word. It could be that we get radical persecution. 
That, that, that as the, as the ch- Christians get more and more marginalized in cultures, it, it actually gets worse to where we have to go underground. And we don't have small congregations, or we do, but they're like in living rooms, in secret. Who knows? But we make our plans in light of God's sovereignty. We say, God, you know what's, what needs to be what needs to happen. This is wisdom. Again, Proverbs. James parallels Proverbs and Proverbs of the New Testament, really. Look what Proverbs says. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but notice, but a fool rages and is self-confident. The whole, everyone tells you, this whole world system tells you, you need to have confidence in yourself. You don't. Because here's what the Bible says. In the fear of the Lord, there's a strong confidence and his children have a place of refuge. This is the choice that we have to make as believers. Self-confidence, which puts us against God, or strong confidence as we fear God. We're only concerned with His opinion about the present and about the future. God, what do you want? See, here's what the Scripture says. Proverbs again says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God and God alone knows the future. Here's the good news. When it comes to our ultimate futures, when we are in Christ, we can know what our destiny is. We can know for a fact, according to Romans chapter 8, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. If you don't want to be like Jesus, you're probably not a Christian. If you don't want to be like Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus. That's not me condemning you. That's just a statement of fact based on Scripture. Because the Bible says, listen, that Jesus saves us so that we can be made like Him, that we might be able to enjoy Him forever. See, the problem is, guys, what we tend to do in modern Western Christianity is we think, yeah, okay, I... I, I'm hoping there's something after I die. Life is kind of short. I agree with that. So tell me what I need to do. Oh, say the sinner's prayer or make a public confession. Oh, get baptized. Okay, then I'll get to go to heaven. That's what I need to do. Okay, great. I'll do that. Now, see you then, God. The rest of my life is mine. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's not Christianity, not biblical Christianity. Jesus created us. God created us for himself which is why you're so unsatisfied with your life unless you live for Him. He created you for Himself. And the reality is, listen, the reality is that God wants us, listen, to understand not only does He know the future, but the future He has for us is glorious. It's glorious. See, we look at our lives right now and we go, this is difficult. God calls us to do things that are hard. It's not easy to follow Jesus. I have to deny myself. you You mean I have to die to myself? That's what he calls us to? That's not easy. But what happened to Jesus? Listen, God the Father calls God the Son to follow him, to do his will. What happens when Jesus does his will? It gets him crucified. And we look at that and we go, I don't know if I want that. If i got to pick up my cross and follow him, I'm not sure I want that. But we forget what happened after he was crucified. We just celebrated last week, remember? (laughs) 
He rose from the dead. God's in the resurrection business. That's our hope. Our hope is not our best life now. Our hope is the resurrection. And we have that hope because the one we hope in, Jesus Christ, has proven that God is trustworthy, that his future for us is good. This is what he means. You guys all have the verse. Probably most of you have this on some plaque or picture at home. I know my plans for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know my plans for you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not evil, of a future and a hope. You all have that. Do you know the context? The context is Jeremiah saying, you're going to go suffer in Babylon for 70 years, but... I know my plans for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil. Of a future and a hope. Guys, listen. This is why God says, listen. This is why James says, all such boasting is evil. This life that we tend to live as lukewarm Western Christians, my life is mine, my, I plan my life, I do what I want to do. God says, do you realize how arrogant that is? Do you realize how against what I've called you to that is? Do you realize how hopeless that is? It's not what I called you to. It's not what I saved you for. No, God directs your steps. Now, here's the great thing about God. Even when we live this way, even when we think, okay, I'm going to make my plans, I'm going to live my life, when we belong to Jesus, you know what God does? He directs our plans to get us right where He wants us to be. When I was about 26, I had been doing youth ministry for about four years and began to have a little bit of success, you know. Saw some kids get saved, and the youth group was, was starting to grow. We had like about 50 kids on a Wednesday night, and, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I was thinking, I've conquered this youth ministry thing. It's time to start being a church planter. That's right. I'm going to plant churches. I'm going to start them from scratch. I can do youth, I can do anything. I'm going to do this. So I began to pray, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere. And I was praying for a long time and resting for a long time about where I should go. And then you know what? God confirmed through a prophecy that I was actually called to go plant a church. I was called to, or was called to leave where I was at and to go to this other place and to try to plant a church. And I was like, wow, God's really made it clear. I mean, I cannot deny that God called me to leave that youth position and go plant this church. And guess what happened? I moved to this place in America that was the number one place in America to live economically. It had like a 2% unemployment rate, and it was the best value for money, a place to live. Beautiful place in North Carolina. We moved to this place, right? Middle of the Bible Belt. Who couldn't plant a church there? Me. Because we went there, and I had to work two jobs and plant the church just to make ends meet. And after two years, the most we could get is eight people to show up to a Bible study. And all those people that showed up, four of them were students, and they all said, we like the Bible study, but we're happy in our churches. We don't want to switch. And the other two couples that one of the church planted, well, one of the couples left, and the other couples lived an hour away. It was too difficult for them to continue. So after two years, I went back to my hometown with my tail between my legs. 
You see, here's what happened. I thought, I have my plans. I will move to such and such a city, and I will plant a church, and it will grow. And the biggest temptation will be how much success I'm going to have, and hopefully I'll still be able to stay humble. See, that was my plans. But here's God. A man plans his way, but God directs his steps. Here's what God did. God says, no, you need to learn something called humility. You need to fear the pride that is in your heart. So you plan your plans, but because I'm Lord, I'm going to direct your steps. I'm going to break it down. See, guys, here's, here's the reality, right? James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's plan A. Humble yourself. God, I want to do what you want to do. I'm, your plans are better than my plans. Your will, not my will be done. I'm going to humble myself before you. That's plan A. Here's plan B. Be humiliated. Be broken down so you can't move forward. Which do you want? Plan A or plan B? Because if you belong to Jesus, it's going to be one of those two. There's no plan C. It's either humble yourself and say, God, I want to seek your will. What do you want from me? You know what's great too? You're not going to miss God's will. (laughs) You know why? Because it's he who's working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's going to make sure he gets you where you want to be. Now you can go the long way or you can go the short way. God knows your future. It's a glorious future if you belong to Jesus. Stop planning your own life and start letting the Lord lead. Seek his will. Lastly, last verse. We're almost done. Not only should we seek God's will because God's our judge and because God knows the future, but also, listen, because God reveals what's good. God shows us what good is. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. What's the assumption James is making? You can know what's good. He's making that assumption. Now, we have to understand something, okay? Listen, God defines what's good. It's God who defines what's good. It's interesting, even the sort of origin of the English word good and the origin of the English word God, they're related. They come from the same root. They're connected. God defines what's good, first and foremost, through His written word. We talked about the revealed, uh, the revealed will of God through His written word. Listen to what Paul, how Paul says it in Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 7 and chapter 12. Paul says the law, that's God's law, is holy and the commandment is holy and just, noticed, and good. Hey, what we read in Leviticus a few minutes ago about loving our neighbors, about not holding a grudge in our heart, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Let's be honest. It's a good thing. Non-believers would say that's a good thing. Paul goes on to say, listen, in Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you understand what Paul's saying in Romans 12? He's saying this, listen, that God's will for your life is good and you prove it, you demonstrate it when you submit yourself to him and say, Jesus, you're worthy to be followed. You prove what is good. 
God defines what's good by what is written. This is why we say, this is why we pray, God, your will be done. I want to follow you. I want to walk in the light. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. We're talking about facing our God and saying, God, you lead the way and I'll follow. He also, listen, defines what's good through the incarnate word. Speaking of Jesus. Jesus says, if you remember Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, when a rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what good thing must I do? To be saved, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? There is no one good but one, that is God. Jesus isn't denying that he's God. He's asking this man, do you understand what you mean by good? Because God defines goodness. Look what the scripture says about Jesus himself. John's gospel, you guys probably know this verse, some of you have this memorized. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we know the glory of God, the unique value of God? How do we know that He is as good as we hope He is? Because of Jesus. Because of the incarnate Word. God has defined goodness. This is why I said earlier, if you don't want to be like Jesus, you probably don't know Him. Who is better than He is? Where else are we going to find that kind of hope? Who else treats us that good? (laughs) Who else is so faithful, so committed, so true, so loving? We know God's good because of what we see in Jesus. We know God defines goodness because of what God says in His Word and what God's shown us through Jesus. But more than that, listen, He requires good. James says it really clearly. Look, if you know what good is and you don't do it, you know God's good, He should be followed, and you don't do it, what does that is? That, what is that? It's sin. We tend to look at sin this way, don't we? We tend to look at sin as bad things we're doing. And certainly there are bad things we can do. But here's what we don't see as sin. Good things that we don't do. But they're both sin. Guys, listen. Prayerlessness is as much sin as adultery. Lovelessness is as much sin as theft. I, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, therefore, if you, well, if you haven't prayed, you might as well commit adultery, and if, you, if you're not really loving, you might as well steal from people. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is this, listen, it is still an offense against God when we, Ignore what He's given us that's good. When we refuse to do what He calls us to do when it's good. When we don't seek His will. Micah says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, I'm talking to you guys that are believers. I'm talking to you guys first that are believers, okay? You've already made a public profession uh, of faith in Jesus. You've already come to understand and believe that his death on the cross was enough to pay for your sins, that he's actually risen from the dead and alive today, and that's why God can accept you. You believe that, you understood that. I'm talking to you. 
He has shown you what He requires. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to have the kind of relationship with Him so that you can recognize what justice is and do it. He wants you to have the kind of relationship with Him so that you know no matter how often you fall, and if you walk with Jesus, you know how often you fall, that you'll learn to love mercy because God's mercies endure forever. He shows mercy after mercy after mercy. He wants you to walk with him. Jesus saved you so you can have a relationship with God forever. That's doing good. If you want the good life, what better thing can God give you than giving, him, giving you himself? Is there anything better than God? Seriously. So why do we ignore him? Why do we substitute a real relationship with God for empty, shallow religion? Turn back to God today. Seek Him. Seek His will. It's a good will for you. It ends in resurrection. It ends with enjoying Him forever. There's not a single person that will face God as a believer that will go, this is it? All that blood, sweat, and tears and all I get is you? No. The book of Revelation makes it clear. When we see him, we're going to fall on our face and all the rewards he's given us, we're going to just cast at his feet. Oh God, you're enough. You are my great reward. Seek him. Seek his will. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Everything else will fall into place. 